and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 59. I'm Kay, here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 15th episode of season 3, Infinite Possibilities, part 2, Icarus Abides. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Infinite Possibilities Part 2. As all looks lost, the crew is able to pull it back. The neuroclone dies, take, trying to take John with him. Stark outsmarts Iskarin, and Aaron feeds Rigel back to health. John and Jack build a dangerous weapon, and after Furlow kills Jack, John is forced to make a decision that costs him his life in order to save the universe from wormhole technologies. So this is a thrilling conclusion to last week's episode. This is part two of two. And where we left off last time, at the end of the episode, we had poor Rigel out in a turret defending uh, Furlow's compound from the Cherids, and he had been wounded by shrapnel. He's got a piece of it in his gut. Ascaran has boarded Talon, where Krace is with Stark, and Krace and Talon are both blinded by the solar flares. And then we have the neuroclone Harvey. John has been trying to kill with the help of Jack, who has now taken over John's body. And Aaron has found him. And he is trying to goad Aaron into shooting him. And so that's where we start this episode. So let's just jump right in. Yeah. The episode really opens with Scorpius and or Scorpius, John and Aaron. And there's a moment that really is interesting to me because... Scorpius like kisses Aaron and he's like, ooh, luscious lips or I don't know, gets all creepy again like he did when he took over John in before John got the neural clone out when it, when Aaron died. And it reminded me a lot of the fact that John and Aaron's first I love you was technically between Scorpius John and Aaron. That's really what this reminded me of and it really what it felt like. Yeah, it's a really creepy to have John, Ben Browder playing Scorpius and what they do on the show to signify that is they have him in Scorpius's costume and makeup it is really disconcerting because you're seeing her talking and interacting with with the with the neuroclone Harvey and this time Aaron is like fully aware that it's him like as soon as he speaks she knows and at the same time it's just like oh no what's gonna happen now because the last time the two of them faced off Aaron didn't come out of it so well Mm mm-hmm And so he essentially has talked Aaron to the point where she's going to shoot him. And Mm -hmm. just as she's about to, Jack jumps and he pushes her gun away. And she's like, why did you do that? And he's like, the neuroclone is dying. He's just trying to talk you into killing him. Yeah, it's like death by cop. That's, That's what he's trying to do. And I'm wondering, they do have John or Ben Browder in the Scorpius outfit and the makeup and everything to signify that Scorpius John. But I wonder if it wouldn't have been more powerful to have it be just John doing the voice and mannerisms, but in his own costume mm-hmm. where he looks like John to really see see that that would be who she would be killing. Would yeah. Be like John Crichton. I don't know. I just had that kind of stray thought as I was watching that scene. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the most powerful part of when the neuroclone takes over from John is when you see him from the character's perspective, which is John John. And the only time we really see him in those episodes with him as Scorpius John is when as an audience, you see it, Mm -hmm. you know, 
And so, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely hear you there. But I, I don't know. I always kind of feel that because I feel like the actors <laughs> on this show are strong enough that, you know, we don't ever really need to <laughs> have them do stuff like that. Um, there have been yeah. a couple times. But it is such a short little bit. So it really is there and gone. And then we move on to the to the rest of the plot of the episode. So it's it's not like it's lingering or anything. Yeah. So then we cut back to the other two kind of cliffhangers we had. Stark is freaking out because the Scarin is on board. <laughs> the Scarin is like, you know, heat killing Crace, and he's like, "Who are you? What are you?" And you're your peacekeeper, peacekeeper. And then Stark is smart enough to have the Scarin turn the heat on him, and then he lies, which I don't know if it's as if it's just his willpower or what, but. Stark is pretty boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's kind of he's kind of being he's lying with the truth, kind mm-hmm. of right? Because he's like, "This is Captain Crace. He's a peacekeeper, and I'm a Bannock slave. I'm his slave. I can be your slave." And so it's like the things that he says were true at one point. They just are no longer true, and he's using it to basically say, "I hate my master. I'll work for you if you just get me away from my master." Mm-hmm. And it is, it's just like Stark at his best, you know? <laughs> I feel like both of these episodes just have all of these characters at their absolute best, you know? Yeah. He convinces the Scarin to not kill Crace because he's like, well, he used to be a peacekeeper captain, but now they want to kill him because he stole this Leviathan gunship. And, you know, so it's all the truth, but he's manipulating it so that the Scarin's like, okay, fine, Crace is going to live to fix a ship. And then I'm going to kill him. <laughs> right. Right. So Stark has gotten in good and saved them basically from immediate death by this scout that has come from the Dreadnought to mm-hmm. check out Talon. Which actually real quick, because last episode, when they got back on board Talon, Chris did mm-hmm. not want Stark's help at all. In fact, no. he kept <laughs> like literally funny. like pushing Stark away. And he's like, Chris was blind. He couldn't see anything and it looked like he'd put the transponder back in but he still wasn't able to communicate with Talon at all and so it was kind of interesting because he kept being like don't touch me I don't need your help I don't need your help walking around my own ship you know (laughs) and then he'd crash into a wall (laughs) yeah so then here Stark really proves his worthiness Mm -hmm. but here's another note that how much is Stark going to follow through on helping Kreis right because Mm. As we saw in Thanks for Sharing, when they're trying to heal Talon and Crace, and John comes aboard Talon for the first time, and Stark is there. He's like, so can't we just disconnect Crace from Talon? Mm-hmm. And Stark is like, I already tried that. <laughs> it didn't work. I couldn't kill Crace. So the, I guess where I'm coming from with this, it's just kind of a nice little thought experiment where how loyal is Stark to Crace and how much is he going to actually help him out? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Yep. Stark kind of has his own motives. <laughs> so meanwhile, John and Aaron can't keep their hands off each other. And John keeps talking about how important, how, how meaningful it is to him to not have Scorpion in his head anymore. John has this moment where it's, he talks about being rid of the Scorpius clone, like somebody who's been living in pain and then suddenly isn't in pain anymore. Right. You haven't like noticed it because it's been such a constant companion, but then there's suddenly this relief when it's gone. Mm-hmm. And they're back to, you know, they're touching, just really gentle touching. And she's like nuzzling his head as he's talking to Jack. And 
I don't know. It feels really good. <laughs> yeah. No, they're being very, very intimate and close with each other, even in front of other folks. And it's it's that partnership coming through again. We mentioned it a little bit last episode where you can really see that John and Aaron are close to each other. They have been physically close. They have been emotionally close. They are comfortable with each other and each other's bodies and mm-hmm. they have access to them. They each have given each other access to them. So they're standing really close together. And it's, it is sweet. It's you know, it's always good to see the two of them kind of on the same wavelength. Yeah. So Jack has unlocked the knowledge in John's brain and John's like, I don't feel any different. And Jack's like, uh, that's because if I unlocked all the knowledge, you would just die <laughs> from <laughs> overload. And Aaron's like, okay, well, I'm going to let you two do your thing. And I'm going to go check on Rigel because all these charids got through. And how did they get through if Rigel was manning the turret? Yeah. So she goes, checks on Rigel. At the end of the episode, he had this shard that he pulled out of his stomach. I think Rigel kind of manages to bandage himself together a little bit because he's a little bit more on his feet. And he's like, bring me food. I need food to maintain my position. So Aaron goes and gets some food. And, you know, through the power of eating, which is one of Rigel's superpowers, he's able to continue on at the turret. Yeah. I, wait, I Actually, I don't know. I wonder if it does make sense because he has so many stomachs. You have to believe that maybe the purpose of there is just to, like, digest things really quickly (laughs) he has a very fast metabolism that's been established in a clockwork nabari yeah that's true that's true yeah so rigel's back in the saddle (laughs) um john and jack they have a talk right here because now john has unlocked the knowledge in his brain so he's looking at what jack is doing and he kind of gets an inkling of suspicion that Harvey really planted in the last episode when he was like, what do you think Jack is going to do when he's killed the Dreadnought? So I want to play this clip because it's really kind of the heart of the episode. Yeah, it really is. Jack, what the hell are we building? A displacement engine. Yeah, and whatever it is, we'll take out a scaring Dreadnought. Yes. And then? What do you mean? I mean, how far are you going to take this? Is this the end, or are you going to try to put all the toothpaste back in the tube? Doubt that's possible. But you're going to give it the old college try, aren't you? You're going to kill me, Furlo, and Aaron. Aaron poses no threat. Furlo, I'm uncertain. And what about me? I no longer doubt your intentions, John. Yeah. So let's let's start with that displacement engine. So the phase modulator thing that Furlow invented and built is what could allow things to pass through the wormhole. And she's the one who came up with that and made it work from John's data. And now this is kind of this silver bread box, basically. Mm-hmm. It's our plot device. And now Jack wants to turn it into a... What do you call it? Phase displacement engine? A displacement engine. A displacement engine. So without the phase part. So basically he's transforming this into something that can interact with wormholes and displace lots of things that can go go very quickly (laughs) through a wormhole and become a weapon. And so that's kind of the crux of of what it's all about. Like, this is what they need to kill the Scarens. This is what they need to stop the wormhole knowledge from spreading throughout the universe. And that's where we start out with it. And I really love John kind of picking up here that 
this is something that should never have happened. They should never have gotten to this point. Jack was there to make sure no other species got to this point, And yet here they are. Mm-hmm. How much do you believe Jack when he says that he's not going to take them all out? I, uh, I don't know. Okay. He definitely leaves furlough off that list, right? It's mm-hmm. so like furlough's dead. No questions asked. Aaron, she doesn't have the knowledge to do it, right? So mm-hmm. she's off the list. He thinks that she is going to be fine. She can, she can live. John, though, he says he doesn't, he doesn't mistrust John's intentions. Like he thinks that John is going to do the right thing, which implies that he's not going to kill John. And yet there's this little part of me that's like, but how much does he trust that the situation isn't going to push John to that point? Mm -hmm. You know? And so I think the answer that he ends up giving is a non-answer. It could be taken one of two ways. It's like, I think your heart is in the right place and you can either have, so I'm not going to kill you or, but I'm going to kill you anyway. Mm -hmm. And I think it's intentionally left very ambiguous. Yeah. And it is a very, I wouldn't say menacing, but there's, it's such a great moment where John has been like helping him in this almost, in the, in this really subconscious way. Like Jack will say, oh, I need this. And then John is like, okay, here's the two things. And Jack's like, hmm, that's a really clever solution. And you can see, so you can see that John has really incorporated all the unlocking knowledge into his current knowledge. And so you can see that Jack is really impressed by how quickly he's picking it up. But I think in a lot of ways that from Jack's perspective, that makes John even more dangerous Mm -hmm. because now John has all that knowledge that Jack had really wanted him to get on his own. And last episode, there was a clip that we didn't really get, but that I want to bring up now. And what, what happens is essentially Jack's like, okay, I'm going to unlock this knowledge. And John's like, like, what would the other ancients think of that? And Jack's like, well, they wouldn't like any of this. You know, they wouldn't like anything we're about <laughs> to do. And at the time, John really didn't understand why, because he didn't understand what Jack was trying to build. But now he has these inklings and he's beginning to understand and he's looking at this and he is realizing the ancients, which are a pretty peaceful race and believe in not using wormholes for weaponry, would really not approve of what Jack is doing. Yeah, they are going so far over the deep end into weapons of mass destruction that, I mean, even Jack says it. some of them didn't even want to give John any rudimentary wormhole knowledge in case it came to this. You know, that was how much they were in, against these kinds of weapons coming into being. Mm hmm. Which makes it interesting that Jack was the one left behind because it kind of feels like you're leaving the soldier that's willing to do anything to protect you behind at the gates. Like he is the mm-hmm. one that you leave guarding the castle. You know? But isn't he the one you want to leave guarding the castle because you know it'll be secure? Yeah. I mean, and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. They, they left their best soldier behind, you know? Yeah. The most ruthless yeah. of them. Yeah, because that's the thing about these kinds of weapons, right? You're never going to use them except when the situation calls for it. And how you get to that situation is the next step and the next step, that slippery slide and the more desperate situations that you're in. And here, yeah, they're in a pretty bad situation with the Scarens having basically the blueprints when they downloaded Florlo's data. They don't have it yet, but that doesn't mean they can't develop it. And that's 
the point where it's like, okay, now we really have to step up and use desperate measures because that's all we have. Yeah. Jack and John have built this machine. John kind of subconsciously, he still doesn't 100% understand what it does, but he's kind of getting an inkling about how bad it is and about how much the ancients would really hate what John, what Jack is doing. Jack has been ordering furlough to get all of these things. You know, he's like, go get this. <laughs> it's actually kind of hilarious, too. Because <laughs> she's like, you want me to get what now? And I have to search over, like, how much. She's like, not that you're asking for anything easy. It's like, it reminded me of Hardison a little bit yeah. from Leverage. <laughs> so funny, right? So Jack is going to install some, you know, radioactive fuel in the displacement engine that they're building. And he sends everybody away except for furlough, I guess, because she's got like a bodysuit on or something. I think it's he sends Aaron and John away because they're there. And then she comes back in. And then I think she's actually sent back out because she was searching for stuff. Right. So she's kind of been in and out. So when he sends people away, she's not there. And then when she comes back, it's temporary. And then she leaves. He installs the the nuclear material, which has high radiation, and he, which his species can survive. And then she comes back in afterwards mm -hmm. with a gun. Yeah, because earlier when Jack sent away John and Aaron, Furlow was working on something. And you could see that she realized that that was her moment, that this was going to be her only chance. Because earlier when she threatened Jack in the last episode, she hadn't been able to shoot him because it was three against one. But mm -hmm. now it's one against one. And Jack doesn't have a gun and furlough does have a gun. Yeah. And so she basically says, this is going to be mine now. I'm going to go do with it as I need because I need to make money off of this somehow. Jack tries to talk her out of it and also doesn't believe he's go she's going to shoot him. But guess what she does? She shoots, she shoots him. him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In the back, even. This is furlough we're talking about. This is not you know, one of the characters we know and love that would not shoot somebody in the back. She shoots him in the back. And then these charids drop from the ceiling. And we realize that Furlough has been playing us all along, which mm -hmm. if you go back, you can see the breadcrumbs that led to this. You know, this is Furlough we're talking about. This is Miss Gimme Money and, you know, the hide in my, you know, by the skin of my teeth, I'm going to make this work. So the Cherids come down and then they double cross Furlough because they're <laughs> mad that she let so many of them get killed. And it's so funny, though, because she doesn't understand what Jack and John have been doing because it goes so far beyond with what she has done. And right. they like look at it and they're like, this doesn't look like a weapon of mass destruction. And she's like, oh, yeah, you just put that thing together and do the thing. And But I'm absolutely certain it's valuable. Yeah. So let's go sell it. That's basically what her attitude is. And then they leave. And at first, we're not sure why. But when Aaron goes back to Rigel, because that's where she's gone till after she checked the perimeter, she and Rigel both notice that the Cherids are keeping their distance and they mm -hmm. aren't attacking. And so yeah. she's really suspicious. It's like something else is going on here that we're missing something. She hasn't quite figured it out yet, but she knows something is wrong. I like, kind of love it because it's, you know, her instincts as a soldier knowing that, hey, perfect opportunity here. Why aren't they doing what they would be doing if they were smart? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. John comes back in. The chairs are gone. And Furlow is kind of like, oh, she's like laying on the ground pretending that she got hurt. And she's like, oh, some chairs broke in. I winged them. But, you know, they killed Jack. 
and Jack is trying to tell John something, but he dies too quickly. Aaron shows back up. She and Furlough kind of get into it because she's been questioning Furlough's like booby traps this entire time. <laughs> right. The booby trap system that's supposed to protect the bunker. And so John is basically left with this half finished device and he needs to finish it. And it's kind of like, okay, should I finish it? Do we have a choice about it? Can I finish it? Do I know enough to do it? Ultimately, yeah, they have no choice. The Scarens are coming. Aaron says, you know, we got to get this done because otherwise we're all up shit creek. So John takes is able to finish working on it. Yeah. And I want to talk here for a second about the title of the episode. Because yeah. the title of the episode is Icarus Abides. The first episode was called Daedalus Demands. And this episode is called Icarus Abides. Last episode... There was kind of this, like, who is Daedalus here? We were kind of thinking, like, Furlough or maybe Jack in some ways, because both of them are these creators that are building this thing. And in this episode, John really becomes Icarus because Mm -hmm. he's the one that has to pay for their actions. This really is like a reframing of the Icarus myth, because in a lot of ways, whenever we culturally talk about Icarus, we say... Icarus flew too close to the sun. Icarus, you know, and that's why he fell to earth, you know. So it's like Icarus's fault. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of ways, this episode kind of frames it as like, okay, so Daedalus demands and Icarus is the one that pays. Mm -hmm. Well, Daedalus is the inventor, right? So he's kind of to to recap the myth a little bit. He is the, the inventor of the labyrinth with the minotaur. And he's also because he was locked up to protect that knowledge he's trying to escape, he invents these wings. And the wings are the invention that let him fly away. And I think you can kind of draw the parallel here, as you did last episode, with the wings and the and the wormholes being this, this new way to travel. There's w- different ways to do that, right? So the way the myth goes, Daedalus says they're, the wings are sealed onto their backs with wax. And you don't want to fly too close to the hot sun, because otherwise the wax will melt and they will fall down to their deaths, which is what happens to Icarus. So often it's told of the story of hubris for for Icarus, who doesn't listen to his father and does that. But at the same time, there's that, would Icarus have died if Daedalus had not invented the wings at all and just stayed quietly in his tower, right? Mm -hmm. His invention led to a situation where Icarus could fall to his death. And I feel like you have the situation here where Furlow and Jack have created this displacement engine or the prototype that led to Jack making the displacement engine. And then, well, what are you going to do with that? And John is the one who actually has to do something with it the way Icarus had to do something with the wings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, It's good. It's, it's really good. I love first. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Do they overthink things or they think things just enough? (laughs) Right. So John goes to get changed because now he's finished the engine and he's ready to take it. And And he needs to fly it, Mm -hmm. which is why he's going to get changed. And he's going to check out the runway at Furlow's urgings. Like, you don't want to clip a wing. Mm -hmm. So he walks out. And what does Furlow do? Furlow, (laughs) meanwhile, (laughs) steals the engine. So as John comes back in. He finds the engine gone and Furlow on a buggy. He quickly, because John is a very smart cookie, figures out that Furlow has double-crossed them. So he goes and he finds her and she essentially is like, 
yeah, I don't want the Scarens to kill me. Like, if we do this, I'm dead. And I don't want to be dead, so I'm just going to give them what they want. Mm-hmm. And she has a gun, and she's pointing it at John, and she has him toss his weapon away and also crush his solar flare goggles, mm-hmm. protective goggles. So when she goes out, he will have a lot more trouble chasing her because he won't be able to see as well because obviously the solar flares are continuing and being very bright outside. Mm-hmm. And we get a car chase. Yep. John and Aaron go after her in another dune buggy, and they have chosen the single dune buggy on this planet that doesn't have <laughs> weapons. <laughs> and I think there's a random chariot out in another dune buggy that ends up chasing them as well. And you have this great little little scene where John and Aaron actually manage to have a, a conversation with each other about going to Earth in the middle of this car chase. <laughs> Which is so in character for them. Do you remember in Sons and Lovers where literally the only time Aaron wanted to talk about relationships was when they were in like mortal danger? <laughs> yes. They have like perfect timing for that. So I'm just going to play it. It's really short, but it's kind of nice too. You know this new knowledge you've got in your head? Yeah. Can you use it to get home? Yeah. Let's do what we have to do here and then we'll go. And that's it. Aaron's like, I'm I'm in. I'm all in with you. Let's go to Earth. Mm-hmm. You've got the knowledge. I've got the plan. It works out pretty well. I feel like it's a good continuation of their conversation in the last episode where they were kind of talking about wormholes in a positive way. Where she no mm-hmm. longer sees it as this threat. She no longer sees Earth as like this incredibly dangerous place. She's kind of now at a place where she's like, I will do this with you. Let's do it. And so this is kind of what makes this whole episode so painful is because Aaron is 100% exactly where she needs to be. She's in sync with John. They're both on the same page. This is like your OTP of the uncharted territories, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's all in and she's ready to go and they are in sync together, as you said. And then we get to see how events unfold and we'll get to that in a bit, but it is very tragic and sad. But before that, we get to see Aaron being a total badass because they have this Cherid dune buggy on their butt and they need to destroy it and they don't have a gun. So she pulls out a charge. (laughs) She jumps and does a rolling landing in the sand and John keeps going after furlough. Aaron... It does, you know, stands up in the middle of the road, has the charge set, waiting for the chariot to drive over it, and just one shot, bam, explosions, death and destruction for the chariot. And uh, then she follows him because he's not dead in the crash. And she's like, run, run away, don't make me shoot you. But then he tries to shoot her, so she kills him. Yeah. And she's like, you should have run. It's actually quite compassionate response from her that's so different from I think how she would have been several cycles ago but when she was a peacekeeper oh for certain it reminded me a lot of how much she's changed since season one you know and not only how much she's changed you know because remember back in PK Tech Girl you know where she was like no we're just gonna kill Jelena like you know she's too much of a danger and then it's John that saves her and so it's really interesting because it goes back to that conversation that she has with her mother and Grace in Relativity yeah because in that episode both of them were like well you have to kill you know Alex because <laughs> Alex is gonna continue to come after like you have to you know this is just a non-issue and but for Aaron it is it's a big issue you know yeah 
Yeah. And here, even though she doesn't have any investment in the Chared, and she still shoots him in cold blood with like no remorse whatsoever, she still has that moment of wanting to give him the opportunity to live, mm-hmm. you know, and to run away to fight another day, even though he is her enemy. And all the protocols she learned as a child, all of the rules that she lived by most of her life were to eliminate an enemy so it can't come back and kill you later. Mm-hmm. So... It's a really nice little little brief note for her right there. So John shoots out Furlow's engine. Her buggy tips over. She and John have a standoff. There's two clips that I only pulled one of them. But when they're the first part of the standoff is Furlow saying, you should have come with me and been my partner in this. And John says to her, you should have done the right thing. And I think it's hmm. so interesting that that is what he chooses to say. The right thing here is to use this against the Scarens to save the wormhole technology from anyone else. Where she is like, I don't want to hurt you. I would have cut you in on this, maybe 70-30, but <laughs> she would have cut him <laughs> in on it. And he would not be facing her over the over a weapon, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does just remind you of like their different moral structures. You know what it actually reminds me a little bit of now is, and I'm not saying the Furloughs is bad as the Ferengis, but I think that what's interesting, one of the most interesting plot lines that Star Trek did for me was like the Ferengi plot line because Star Trek is all about like being morally upright. And so when they meet the Ferengis who are all about like money and where like money is their, their entire moral structure is around being wealthy and having money that it was like such it was like they were just speaking two entirely different languages and Mm -hmm. that's really what this felt like because she's kind of like the right thing here is to survive and john is like no there's very clearly a morally right thing here which is not to have the universe completely destroyed by wormhole technology right right and you could sort of see you know you totally see furlough's position like she has no workers there's nobody left on the planet and she needs to eat she wants to make a lot of money too but you know there's also that that survival as you said but from a very practical standpoint way she sees it if they don't if the scarens do make it through they're going to kill her and she has no recourse for that Mm -hmm. other than to give them what they want and see if she can make a profit off of it yeah yeah so they have this standoff and then a solar flare gives Furlow the upper hand because remember, John doesn't have his goggles on, so he's momentarily blinded by it. And the other thing to note is that when the dune buggy rolled over, the uh, displacement engine, basically a bread box, fell out of the buggy cart and the part that covers up the nuclear material has flipped open. Mm-hmm. Talk about poor design. And also, that means that it's on a timer now, though. because It got activated. Yeah. Jack had essentially built something that would self-destruct after about two hours or two arns. And so that's one of the points that John brings up is like, hey, you don't need to do this. By the time you get it to the Scarens, it's going to be completely worthless. Yeah. Let's go ahead and play that quote because it also has a really great interaction between them. Furlough, look. The device... It's active. You can't shut it off. By the time you get it to the Scarens, it'll be useless. It'll be slag. I can't deactivate it, but you gotta let me use it to take out the Dreadnought. Casing's open, John. I can close it. 
Uh-uh. It's too late already. The reaction's building too fast. I think we both better get out of here. Now you go. Don't be the hero, John. Always be the one to walk away while the hero dies. That's my motto. Always be the one to walk away while the hero dies. That's my motto. I love Furlough. I love her so much, too. It is such a good line because it's so true, right? You see it in all the stories. And she's not going to be the one to be a hero and die. And John is the one who is. Like, he's going to go over to that casing. He's going to close it. And by being so close to it, it's like being next to Chernobyl's reactor, Mm -hmm. right? He's going to get dosed with radiation and it's going to kill him. Mm -hmm. I just love that John has always chosen to be a hero. But I think that this is the first time where it's like he is a hero at the cost of his own life. This is the time, Mm -hmm. you know, we had it, we had it pretty close in nerve and hidden memory, you know, when, or in nerve really, when he was deciding he was going to save Aaron, but at least then they had a plan. This is like a suicide run, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's not just, you know, it's the hero for his own life. It's not just the small crew. It's not just Aaron. It's not just the rest of Moya. But it is literally keeping the most dangerous weapon in the universe out of the hands of the Scarens, who are among the most dangerous people in the universe. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes me go back to that his line right before this to furlough is like, you should have chosen to do the right thing. And here he is choosing to do the right thing, no matter the cost to him. And here the cost is so much greater, right? Because mm-hmm. he and Aaron are together. They have a dream to go back to Earth together. He's not just losing his life. He's losing his life with Aaron and all the happiness that they could have had together. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so tragic about it. He is he is choosing to give that up for the greater good. Mm-hmm. And it is very noble and it is very heroic and it really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This is just such a killer. It's such a good line from Furlough, but also, I don't know, I think it just shows John's morality. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, he's gone from this guy that was kind of just like a fly, like a, you know, yeah, he was a scientist and he was really brilliant. But his, like, major kind of moral thing when he was on Earth was, like, trying to live up to his father and trying to get over his mother's death and, like, this really small scale thing. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a soldier. He wasn't like somebody that was trying to go out and like save a whole bunch of people. He really just had his own life. And now he's in this situation where he is forced to make like the ultimate moral decision. Do you mm-hmm. do you allow yourself to die to save billions upon billions of species or of species, billions upon billions of different aliens? And he chooses to save everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, that's John for you, I guess. Yeah, he lives up to the situation. <laughs> you know, he is that. Okay, so like, you know, the whole like, you could be more thing. I think yeah. this is John's you could be more moment. You know, he's yeah. choosing oh, to I be like more, that. you know? Yeah, he's he's choosing to look beyond himself in a really big way. And, you know, it's the sort of thing, could he live with himself if he didn't do that? And I don't think he could. And I think that's part of the calculus that goes into making this decision. Mm-hmm. Like, he would carry the weight of that with him forever. So meanwhile, back on Talon, the Scarron wants to have control of the ship and is told by Stark that he needs a transponder. And so so he has Stark make two transponders. Or well, no, Chris he, has. He has, 
Crace has Stark make two transponders when Stark says. That's what I was trying to get to. Yeah, you're right. And one for the Scarin and one for me. So they're able to trick the Scarin into taking the hand of friendship, which in this case is the hand of death, because it basically immobilizes and I think shocks the Scarin long enough, you know, it keeps him still for Talon's guns to shoot him enough times to kill him. And there's this really great little moment where, where Crace is still half blind and Stark actually pushes him out of the way into safety when the Scarin's about to fall on them. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's kind of the resolution of will Stark save Crace or let him die at the hands of the Scarin? And he saves him. Or Crace says, thank you. And Stark's like, I don't think it'll ever happen again. <laughs> <laughs> so the two of them are back in control of Talon. Crichton has not told Aaron yet that he has been dosed with radiation, but he says, I'm going to be the one to fly the module. They're back at the hangar. And they're now back in contact with Crace. And there's this really touching kind of moment that happens between the whole group and the whole crew. So I'm going to play that one. Crichton, Aaron, Rigel, what is your status? Freld. Mivong's on a plate. Freld. What's your status? I am partially sighted. Talon has recovered sufficiently to attempt Starburst. Well, pick me up and let's go. Crichton, Aaron. Chris, we got one shot at this. The uh, displacement engine will take out the Scarens. You need to pick up Sparky and get the hell out of here. Yes, Starburst immediately. No. It is unanimous. We stay. Ah, oh, damn it, Chris. Knock it off. You're gonna make me start liking you. Is there anything we can do? Yeah. It would be helpful to have the Dreadnought uh, directly in line with the mouth of the wormhole. What wormhole? The one I'm about to rustle up. We will attempt to lure them. Good fortune. Aww. Can I just say, I love how Unanimous still doesn't include Rigel. Because <laughs> <laughs> Rigel's like, pick me up! And Aaron and John, I think the plan is they're both going to be in the module. But it's just Stark and Crace who are like, it's Unanimous, we're going to stay. <laughs> but I really like that little back and forth. I love Lanny Tupu's acting here when he's, and maybe it's partly the music composition too that's going on with it, but it's like, we've just had this really brutal fight. You guys have just had this really brutal fight. We're in this really awful situation and how, what do we do to pull through it kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm half-sighted now. What can we do to help you guys? And then, you know, staying. And then John's little comment about don't make me like you. Ugh. I know. So good. Well, and it's such a payoff from all the conversations that John has essentially had. Okay, because I I think I've come (laughs) to the conclusion that John's entire, like, this whole season where John's like, I don't trust him. I don't trust him. It's not that he doesn't trust Grace. It's that he doesn't like him. Do you know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and with that not liking carries the mistrust. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, Rigel is just as self-serving as Grace. But I think that John like likes Rigel. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so yeah. that's like the difference. And so here it's I don't know, it's like Crace again is just like a strategizer and he's like, What wormhole? And then he's like, when John's like, Well, I'm gonna make one, and then Crace is like, Okay, so I'm gonna be the military commander and I'm gonna get them to come at me. You know? Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you need for me, that's what we'll do. I don't know. Yeah. So good. And also, it's good. Yeah. I think you're right. The music definitely is like really on point these past two episodes, but right here, especially, you Mm -hmm. know, because it's like thoughtful. It's not like, oh, you should feel sad music. This is just like people making hard decisions music. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of hard decisions, the scene right after this is 
when John basically falls off the module and he has to talk to Aaron about what he did with the radiation. Mm-hmm. John, are you hurt? No. No, I'm fine. What happened? What did she do to you? No, she didn't do anything. What's the matter? She didn't. What is the matter? Radiation. Massive radiation. I couldn't help it. I couldn't stop it. There has to be something you can do. No, I have to finish this. You're finished here. I'm flying the mission. Aaron, you don't know what to do. You will talk me through it. You will get help and you will not argue with me on this one. Damn it! This is not something I can coach you through. It's half intuition, it's half feel, and I know it like I invented it. So it's your life for everyone else's. And you're different how? I'm different because I love you. Then you know I have to do this. My heart just breaks into a thousand pieces every time I listen to that or watch that scene because it is the decision point where John is saying, I'm going to die Mm -hmm. and I am doing this not just to save everybody, but also because I love you and I'm saving you, Mm -hmm. you know? Oh, it's so good. So good. This kind of pushes Aaron and John back into more comfortable territory in some ways, because this is kind of where they've been for two seasons now, is them each making really hard decisions for each other and each trying to save each other. We saw that in Nerve and Hidden Memory. We saw that in the Bank Heist episodes. Um, yeah, Liars, Liars Guns, Guns and Money. Yeah, we saw that in Liars, Guns and Money, where they each are willing to die for each other. And that's where Mm -hmm. they've been for two seasons. But we've never had them in that place where they're also in a happy relationship. Like usually it's just like, I love you from afar and I'm willing to die from (laughs) you, but I'm not willing to tell you that I love you. And then here it's like we've had so many episodes of them domestic, them happy, them having each other back and, you know, making out all the time. So it's just unfair. (laughs) It's so unfair because they are clearly so in sync and together and partners in this relationship that they have built together. And that's what's so brutal about it. And when Aaron says, because I love you, that's what makes me different. And he's like, well, that's why you know that I have to do this for you. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it just twists the knife that much more about, yeah, this is what he's giving up. Mm-hmm. It also reminds me a lot of the conversation they have with Zan at the end of Self-Inflicted Wounds, where you know, they kind of get in this fight of like, who's going to do this? And it's like, Zan is like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm dying. You know? (laughs) And that's the same conversation that they're having really is John's like, I'm dying. You're not dying. I'm not going to let you die to do this. He has already taken that plunge and it makes logical sense for him to keep, keep on that path that he's already chosen. So I want to play a quick clip because I don't know, I'm becoming too much of a Crace fangirl this episode. Grace is so great. Oh, oh my God. God. This is such a good clip. I love it. <laughs> Scarron Dreadnought. This is Captain Bylar Grace, peacekeeper. Approach any closer. You will be engaged and destroyed. 
They must be terrified. <laughs> that stark over his shoulder. Oh man. Oh my goodness. But yeah, no, Chris Chris just really gets some of these really awesome lines of declaration and intent. And this is definitely one of those where he's, you know, identifying himself, he's taking pride in himself and his ship, and yeah, it's partially a bluff. But it's also absolutely one hundred percent true at the same time. It's you know? so good. <laughs> it's like oh, I, I I don't know why this hits me like where it like really works. I think it's because he's finally on their side. He's doing something for them, you know? Without arguing. Without arguing. And it's like John has always accused Crace of kind of being out for himself, but I'm like, if Crace was really out for himself, he would just cut and run. He would, mm-hmm. you know, maybe pick up Rigel, probably not, but just leave because the Dreadnought has no fight with him. Yeah. Yeah. And Talon can starburst or thinks he can starburst at the moment, too. So good. This hits yeah. like all my buttons because it's like Crace <laughs> the commander, you know, it's Crace yeah. kind of like bluffing, but at the same time it works, you know, because the yeah. Dreadnought's coming straight at them. Yeah. Well, it's just like. Crace in his arc this season, and maybe this is something we'll talk about a lot once we wrap up the season and we've seen everything that he does, but this whole adventure on Talon, he has been more or less upfront with them the whole time. He has been straight with Aaron. He's been straight with Crichton. He is not been twisting things around to get his own way you Mm -hmm. know he's been trying to do things for Talon he's been working as a team player and yeah there's friction but he hasn't actually betrayed them at all yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it it just reminds me a lot of the moments where we get to see Krace being who he is being the commander that he was in the peacekeepers before his brother's death smart together planning I don't know I just enjoy it I also enjoy yeah. like grand statements. I, I just enjoy <laughs> grand statements. I'm a big fan. Yeah. So yeah. the and also I don't know. I want to point out that Aaron has said that a Scarin dreadnought is twice the size of a peacekeeper command carrier, and at this point, Talon is very, very, very small compared to even a peacekeeper <laughs> command carrier. So this is like David and Goliath. Yeah, he's like a fly speck. Yeah, basically, because Moya is quite smaller than a is quite a bit smaller than a command carrier, and she's full grown. So, meanwhile, John has his module up in the air, and he's created a wormhole pretty easily mm-hmm. with the solar flares. Mm-hmm. And then he starts using the displacement um, engine, and the displacement engine essentially takes the wormhole, puts the other end of the wormhole on a star, takes a big portion of that star. And blows up the dreadnought with it. Mm-hmm. Because the dreadnought's coming straight forward towards the wormhole. It gets sucked in. Explosions, explosions, explosions. And you can see kind of the potential of the terrifying weaponry that can be done. Because basically, you bend space-time to put one end at a big ball of gas and the other end at the enemy. And... One of them are not going to survive. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Aaron is down in Furlough's lab, and she's put essentially explosive devices on every single thing that could possibly be of any use, and a lot of things that probably aren't going to be of any use. <laughs> she's collapsing the structure. Yeah. She <laughs> wants to make sure that this is buried. And she has this moment at the end where she knows John is up there, and her head just kind of thunks against the wall, and this expression on her face of knowing it's bad. And Mm -hmm. knowing that she just has to keep going. And then when it's all done, Aaron is on their comms and she's like begging John to be alive. And then he is. Mm -hmm. 
And he is. He he makes it through the the displacement engine display, but it doesn't mean he's going to live. Mm-hmm. And so we she has been down with Rigel in the turret, and they all return to Talon, and we see John on his deathbed. And I think it's in Crace's quarters because the bed is large mm-hmm. and central. And we get some really heartfelt goodbyes. And the first of those is with Crace. Your sacrifice does not go unnoted, Commander. Crace. You. Find the better part of yourself. You. Have to take care of them. I will. I am. Hope you can believe that. Goodbye, Crichton. So. Do you think John sees himself as the caretaker or do you think he's just saying that because he knows that Aaron's going to be trashed after this? I think both. I think John is a very nurturing person and we've kind of said that Aaron and John sometimes reverse the gender trope where she is the warrior and the stoic and he is the one about emotions and caring about people and making sure they're okay. And so, yeah, I think he is does see himself as a caretaker and he knows Aaron's going to be wrecked. So, yeah, I think it's kind of a both of those things at the same time. Hmm. I think it's also maybe a peace offering to Crace. Like he knows he's dying. He knows Crace is there. He's finally not saying I can't trust you, but he's saying I'm trusting you with the most important people in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think he actually really is asking Crace though for something. I think it's more than just him being like, hey, I trust you now, buddy. You're a good person. <laughs> I think it really is. He's looking around and he's like, well, Stark's not going to be any help. <laughs> Rigel's out for himself. Aaron is going to be non-functional because I would be non-functional if Aaron died. I was non-functional when Aaron died, mm-hmm. you know, and he's yeah. like, Crace is, is the one that he can is the only one that is not going to take his death really hard. Yeah. 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 That could be too. I think one of the the most interesting things for me about this is when Crace says your sacrifice won't go unnoticed commander mm. and he gives John his rank. And I feel like that's a really nice touching moment of Crace acknowledging in his own way, John's, I don't want to say importance, but like, like his, um, the respect he has for him. Let's put it that way yeah. before making this. And he can address him by a military title or pseudo military title that gives him back that respect, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and also it's like a soldier dying in battle. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about how John doesn't really trust or respect Crace, but I think also that goes both ways. Like, I don't think Crace really likes or trusts, or I don't think Crace really likes or, you know, respects John that much. But yeah. here they're both at this place where it's like mutual. You know, yeah. So, yeah. so that's Crace. John tells Rigel that he can't have his stuff. <laughs> Rigel starts laughing, and then he gets really sad, and he's like, "It's going to be hard not to think of you." And that's kind of a little bit of a callback to when John was unconscious in uh, in uh, that old Black Magic, and Rigel gave him the right of Hyderian Passage and tried to steal his boots. <laughs> uh, before we touch on Stark really quickly, 
When Stark and Crace were watching the wormhole consume the dreadnought, the ongoing joke this whole these whole two episodes have been Stark being like, I have a prayer for that. And when Stark watched the dreadnought being consumed, he was like, I have no prayer for that. Yeah. But now he's back in his wheelhouse because death is kind of where Stark lives. John is in pain because it's painful to die from radiation poisoning. And so Stark gives him like a little bit of peace via his face mask. And then afterwards, John just kind of presses Stark's hand to him. And it seems like just a moment of, I don't know, it really reminded me of how they communicated when they were both in Scorpius's cell. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, when when Stark was like holding John and cradling him in his lap. And it's like this taking comfort from maybe not a close friend, but still a friend and a comrade. Mm-hmm. And just like the touch. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, how touch can sometimes be just, I don't know, a sense of peace and, and healing. And I don't know. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's sad. Yeah, it's really good. But nothing's going to break your heart like Claudia Black and Aaron Sun. Mm-hmm. And their last conversation. So I don't have the whole of it, but I have the first part. I'm very angry. Me too. We had good times. I wouldn't change it for the world. You made me a better person. That wasn't hard. I love you so much. I love you. I would have gone to her. Sorry, you never got to meet my dad. My real dad. I'm sorry I never met your dad. I'm sorry about a lot of things. Don't be, I don't want you to go that way. I won't. Okay, raise your hand if you're never going to be okay with the way she says I'm very angry. That's me. Or the way she says, I love you so much. That one just gets me too every time. Uh, I just can't get over the way she's like crying in her voice. And she's like, you can tell she's angry, but it's like angry at fate. Mm -hmm. You know? And like, ah, what gets me is like when he's like, I regret so many things. And she's like, oh, don't. I don't want you to go that way. Yeah. Yeah. John says a few more things at the end. And is it a lucky or an, uh, they say it's a lucky or an unambitious man who dies at peace and or goes when he's ready. And he's kind of made his peace. It's like he says, I'm, I'm at peace with my life and I'm proud of what I've done. And I've never felt better. Mm-hmm. And that's when he that's when he dies for a way for for him to go. And I hope I don't cry while I'm talking about this. <laughs> you know, I think it's it's good to be able to say that you are at peace with yourself when you are going to die. And I think the fact that he knows he made a right decision for himself, the right moral decision with what he was doing with the protecting the wormhole um, information from the Scarens and the universe, and that he did get a chance to have good times with Aaron and all of that combined together, he did fulfill 
and was fulfilled by those choices. Mm-hmm. Ugh, so good. And just yeah. Aaron here just like really kills me because this isn't them dying in battle or one of them dying in battle. This is they get to say goodbye. They get to say all the things that they want to say to each other. And even though she's angry, it feels like such a different anger than we've seen from her before. And mm-hmm. moreover, it just feels like because she's opened her heart to John, this just wrecks her in ways that she did predict like Mm -hmm. this is why she did not want to be in a relationship with him because she knew especially after zan's death she knew the possibility of getting hurt this badly yeah would season one aaron have ever expressed her emotions in words before no she wouldn't have Mm -hmm. not like this and it's it's a very helpless anger right because there is nothing she can do. He's too far gone for any of the radiation medication to work. She's angry, as you said, at fate and the universe. And there's nothing she can do about it. A lot of her anger that we see expressed otherwise results in her grabbing a gun and going and fighting and killing somebody. And this is, there is no one to fight. It is death. Mm-hmm. Death is coming, knocking. Ugh, so good. It's, it's, yeah, it's really good. It's really sad. It's really tragic. I mean, this is like a classic tragedy. Ugh. And and again, like, what other show is going to kill its main character off? <laughs> the one that has a spare, obviously. Okay, but I mean, <laughs> even given the spare, like, I I want to know, like, what other show is gonna is gonna do this? Is gonna say, okay, let's have an AU where the main character dies. How would the other characters react to his death? What would happen? You know, mm-hmm. and that's where the episode ends episode ends she wraps them in this red blanket and it's and it closes his eyes not okay never mm-hmm. okay with this so wardrobe watch yeah real quick mm-hmm. i think everyone is pretty much still in their outfits that they've been in dusters leather mm-hmm. lots of leather so red blanket is the only wardrobe change when she wraps them in <laughs> it and i'm still not okay with her cradling a dead john like never it's so sad so sad what would you give this episode this one's a five for me. Mm-hmm. This one just knocks it out of the park, and it's so devastating emotionally. And all the beats get hit on point. You have the the wrap up of this weapon. We finally are seeing what this wormhole potential weapon is going to be like. And as I said, I think in last episode, or maybe earlier in this one, that is central to not just the season but the series as a whole. It's what's driving Scorpius. It's what's driving John Crichton. And we see the two of them dance around it for the rest of the show. And it's it's so good. And the stuff with Aaron and the stuff with Furlough being her wonderful self. And, oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the emotion really gets this episode. This is a five for me as well. I think you're right. The payoff of the wormholes. Because we've been dancing. We've been seeing wormholes so far as a way for John to get home. But I really love this idea of wormhole weaponry because it mm-hmm. takes it and it just it changes it. It's it's like the flip of the coin. It's like seeing the atomic bomb for the first time. You can't put that genie back in the lamp. Or as John says, you know, you can't put the toothpaste bath in the tube. John might be dead, but now the Scarens know the possibilities of wormhole technology. Mm-hmm. And there's still another John out there that does have that knowledge. 
you know. Right. It hasn't been unlocked yet, but it's there. And you have Scorpius who has that knowledge too, because as we saw in Incubator, he was able to recover some of that locked information. Not all of it, mm -hmm. but enough to get them going on it. So you have have this, this potential weapon in two more hands out there. And now you don't even have Jack the Ancient being the the final guard on it. Mm -hmm. You know, he's dead. He's gone. And so that leaves John, the morality of John Crichton on Moya, the the last protector of it, mm -hmm. kind of. God, I just gave him like this really weird role, didn't I? <laughs> well, no, it's true. It's and I think it's ambitious and I like it yeah. because it's ambitious. I think ambitious is a good word for it. It feels epic. Oh, right. This is like... <laughs> This just feels bigger. You know, okay, because this is this really does feel bigger. And I know that usually shows they need to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, like Leverage, which is one of your and my favorite shows. So like first season, they're like, let's steal from a bad guy. And by like the last season, they're like, let's take over the US government. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so like, it just, you know, you have to get proportionally bigger as things go on. But this just like ups the game. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because this takes it kind of from being like a show about some people that are like on their own to like massive universe bending importance. Well, it's given them the role as the, the guardians of the galaxy, as it were, <laughs> because because now they they really are at the center of this galactic conflict as being John Crichton is the one who has this wormhole knowledge and is the linchpin for making or breaking this war that's brewing between the Scarens and the Peacekeepers. Mm -hmm. So next week we have Revenging Angel. Yep, that one's a lot of fun. Think of it as antidote to this one, if you need to. <laughs> and uh, we are Farscape Friday Podcasts at Dreamwith and Tumblr and at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with us. If you leave us a review on iTunes, that would be great. And we're Farscape Friday on Twitter if you want to get in touch with us there. All right, we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.